Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by creating these mindfulness-based rituals in your life. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. I am so excited for today's podcast episode because we get to talk to Alexa Salvaggio, who is a wellness entrepreneur based in Los Angeles. She's a teacher, a TEDx speaker, a writer, a podcast host, retreat leader, and the CEO of Rich Chocolate Rituals. Alexa is passionate about supporting people, creating a loving relationship with their body and their self. And so I thought she would be the perfect guest to have on as we enter the holiday season, a time where there's so much stimulation from food to people. And as the world is opening up in this holiday season, it's going to feel different probably than the past few years. I thought it'd be really great to talk about how we can slow down and really savor this time and how we can take care of ourselves. Alexa shares with us her story and relationship to self-love with her own mind and body, as well as offers us ways to think about savoring life and practicing rituals in our days. So settle into this conversation and let's get centered. Alexa, welcome to the Centered in the City podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful just to, first of all, just to see you for a second, because it's been a while, but second of all, to be able to get out of the way as much as possible and just let the conversation unfold as it needs. I love it. Well, let's explore because we are entering into the holidays and I'm sure you have so much wisdom to drop for our listeners. And I'm curious, like, tell us about a time where you didn't feel centered and how, whatever that means to you, and how you supported yourself recentering. God, I love that. Um, I get uncentered all the time. And I have a really great little toolkit that I call upon when I'm feeling uncentered, which sometimes is just part of the human experience. You know, we learn through dichotomy. So when we feel off track, that's the traction we need to get back on. And when we have tools, it's possible. For me right now, the tool is breath work. 10 out of 10, the tool is breath work. I had a really dysregulating day um, a week or so ago. I'm navigating um, some things in my relationship. Um, I have met the man of my dreams and there's, uh, he has children. And so there's complications with um, exes and children. And and there was some really dysregulating stuff that, that came up. And 
I was in so, so much resistance to getting recentered. It's almost like I was addicted to feeling shitty about it. It was like this kind of a, a adrenaline pumping, like, oh my God, like I'm used to feeling crazy, you know? Um, but it, it's, it's always the thing that we're actually in the most resistance to that tends to bring us back into center. Like, okay, if you're resisting getting off your phone because you're just like scrolling for hours, that's probably the thing you need to get back on your center. If you're resisting the breath work or the meditation, that's probably the tool that's going to actually drop you into a calmer nervous system. So for me right now, the tool is, is breath work. And man, I was like so dysregulated and feeling um, kind of hopeless and scared and almost infantilized. And I did, I kid you not, five minutes of breath work and I felt like a brand new human. Mm. Before I ask you more about breath work, I would love for you to like, let's dive into that because I think that addictive state that you're talking about of chaos, uncentered adrenaline, whatever we wanna call it, it can be so addictive. Oh my God. Why? Like, why? What, it, like, what do you feel like is happening inside of us that we're like, give me more, give me more. Totally. I mean, I think it all comes back to like nature versus nurture, right? Like if you grew up in a dysregulated home or, or like have been in a dysregulated relationship and then you, you convert that to be love, right? You're like, oh, like my dysregulated home where like, I'm constantly in a state of fight, flight, freeze. That's what I'm used to then like, if I'm in it, then that's actually what feels really normal to me. Everybody's normal is um, really bred via their environment. Like we've talked plenty about um, like eating disorders and things like that. Like my old normal used to be eating 200 calories a day. And I felt very comfortable eating 200 calories a day. What was uncomfortable for me was actually eating meals that made me satisfied because I felt most safe when I was starving myself because that kept me small. It kept me whatever, right? It kept me all sorts of things that we don't need to get into because everyone has their version of that. But I think we get addicted to this sense of, at least for me, this sense of, (laughs) because A, it makes me know I'm alive. I'm very alive in that state. Mm it's what I'm used to. It's definitely what I grew up in and see, um, that, that cortisol and that dopamine, there's like cortisol, like pumping through your veins. And there's something that, um, for me at least, and maybe, maybe people who are listening resonate, it's almost associated with busyness. It's like get this kind of hit off of I'm busy. Yes. It's like, we're like, I'm killing it. I'm kicking ass. And that same sensation of being like agitated is like, oh yeah, I'm doing it. I'm making stuff happen. And it's like, really? No, but it feels like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause like, as you were sharing, that's what was coming alive for me was thinking about, yeah, growing up in New York city, the busy, the hustle, the needing to fill every minute, every day to tie my worth to what I'm doing, that pulsating vibration is totally uh, something that kicks in and I and I notice when even like living in Seattle which is a totally different pace when that kicks into my system of oh my god like it helps me gear up to take action right which is good in a sense of helps me cross some shit off my to-do list it helps me forward 
But when I notice that I'm like overactivating it and staying in it, I'm like, I see it happening and I'm like, why am I doing this? We right? love, we love it. We love to hate it. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. So thank you for, for just even like highlighting how addictive that is for our systems and our, and our brains. Talk to us a little bit about your story and your journey with your body and your relationship to food and how you nourish yourself. Totally. Um, my relationship to my body has been both my catnip and my kryptonite this lifetime. It's been my greatest teacher. and It's been my most, um, proud moment as well moments uh i came into this world i think with stuff around my body and food i had what's called failure to thrive as a baby i wouldn't eat um so it was not like oh this thing just popped up it was like from day one tumultuous um and i remember being a a, a child like kindergarten and finishing dinner and running upstairs and doing sit-ups for an hour. You know, it's like, and no one taught me how to do this. This was a, this was a means of control. This was a means of feeling safe in my body and the story in my family in particular. And again, everyone has their own story of what this means to them, but the story that was unspoken, right? We have covert and we have overt lessons that we get taught. The uh, overt is like when someone says, Hey, you're fat. That's not good. Covert is like my mom being a ballet teacher and going, oh, um, you know, Gina's thighs actually look pretty big in that, in that costume. So we're going to actually have to change her costume this year. And so for me, I heard things like that and went, oh, big thighs equals bad. Not only that, but I don't then get to wear the pretty costume if I'm wow. big thighs bad. So, you know, as a five-year-old, that's a really big deal. So I, that, that was kind of imprinted on, on my brain at a very early age and in means of control, I used, um, exercise as my primary source of, um, kind of containment of that. And not only was it kind of genius because it was a way of staying safe in quote unquote safe in my family, but also it's a really good way to burn off cortisol. So if you are stressed out as a, as a person, right, that's why they say like you get runners high or you like feel so much relief after you just do a workout. It's not this like woo woo hippy dippy thing. It's actually real. Like you burn off cortisol. There's a reason why after a deer almost gets hit by a car, it stands by the side of the road and shakes. It's shaking off cortisol. So for me, I was a deeply anxious, very sensitive kid who came into this world with some eating disorder stuff, had a, a family whose worth was um, built around what the body can do. It was a dance family. We all danced, every single person, except for my dad. He was an architect and he built all the sets and did all the things. So it was like worth equals body looking like this performance. And that definitely blossomed throughout my life and, and continued to uh, heighten until it reached, reached its absolute zenith, which was in college. I, um, I had always kind of dabbled in eating disorders, like, you know, compulsive exercise, uh, but it was never like a habitual thing. Um, but in college, it became very compulsive. And, um, at my, you know, I don't like to share numbers of weight because I think that can be kind of triggering for people. Um, but I will say I was definitely, I was eating no more than 200 calories a day and I was dancing professionally about four hours a day. So there was, um, 
deep restriction. And, you know, I always say that um, anorexia or any kind of compulsion or addiction is a means of disembodying your body. So it's, it's a goodbye to yourself and an act of self-hatred. And, you know, what you and I teach now, which is about, you know, being centered, all these centering exercises, whether it's breath work or meditation or yoga or, or therapy or journaling, they're all practices in re-centering to self. Um, I think life gets really hard the further away from ourselves we get. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your journey. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to some aspect of, of your journey and especially just as women in general in our North American culture, right? How many messages we get from family, from magazines, from Instagram now about how we should quote unquote look and feel in our bodies. What was your journey like of coming back to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was such a um, long journey and an arduous one. Um, but really when I hit, after I hit my rock bottom, if you will, um, where I really saw that I had a problem and I was really ready, willing, and able to change, um, my sister took me to my first yoga class the next day. And I remember being on the mat and frankly, I, I hated it. I was like, wow, this sucks to have to sit with myself. There's no distraction. There's no nothing. I just have to sit here and breathe. And I don't like it. I'm a dancer. I like to move, you know, it's like this whole practice, but there was a part of me that knew I was onto something. And there was a part of me that knew that, that, that this moving toward myself, this reconnection to my internal environment, despite the fact that I hated it, I didn't like my internal environment, but I knew that this reconnection to it was actually going to be my way out because it's true. The only way out is through. So I, I felt in that yoga class, like, okay, wow, I'm here. I don't like it. I don't like the way my body looks. I don't like the way my body feels, but actually I am a little bit hungry. Oh, I guess I should listen to that. And then from there eating and being like, wow, I don't like the way this feels, but knowing that that's the right thing to do, that like feeding myself is actually going to proliferate my life. You know, it's like when you're in a toxic relationship and you keep going back to this toxic relationship, like it doesn't feel good to leave the relationship. It's not like, oh, relief. I'm out of this toxic. It feels terrible. But you're like, I'm still choosing myself over this toxic relationship. And what I did in that yoga practice was I started to choose myself over the toxic relationship that I had with food. And through this practice of yoga, through meditation, through therapy, um, through plant medicine, I really, really rekindled a, a partnership with myself. And I can very much say that like, I, lo I love my body. I love it. I respect it. I know that my body is not who I am. It is the vessel through which I go throughout this life. And the more I can treat it well and have fun with it too. Like, I think that's part of it is in this spiritual community in the, you know, Kind of yoga meditation world, we can get very like, oh yes, and I'm like this, and I only eat that, and it's like that can be great for some people, but also like part of the human experience is also to play. Like I love a cocktail, I love a chocolate cake. Like I own a chocolate company. Like part of part of it is to also seek the joy of our own experience and to enjoy pleasure filled um, experiences too. So I think it's it's all of it. 
you know? Yeah. I totally can relate to your aspect of your story of coming back into the body. And I didn't suffer from an eating disorder, but going through cancer and chemo and feeling that sense of my body turning on me with cancer cells in me was such a practice in learning how to befriend my body again, to befriend my cells and Mm -hmm. to stay with myself because, oh my God, of course, when unpleasant shit is happening. It's like how easy we want to disassociate or numb out or just check out and, and, or like think that we can just spend time in our head and in our work. And that's even kind of become a form of this busyness and, and checking out that, um, what a gift it is to come back to ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite of, of addiction or compulsion isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction or compulsion is connection. So if we can stay connected to ourselves, we don't want to do those things, right? Like there it's a treat or it's treatment. Like I'm either treating myself to a piece of chocolate cake, or I'm treating my depression by eating the whole cake, right? Mm -hmm. I'm offering myself a treat of watching this TV show or I'm treating my crippling anxiety by binge watching 27 episodes of Sex and the City again. So distinguishing, particularly this holiday, when we get around family, I believe it was Ram Dass who said, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. You know, as you get around your family, notice, is this a treat or is this a treatment for something I'm avoiding? Mm. Is this a treat right now? Yes, I'm wanting this, whatever, fill in the blank. Or am I treating the fact that like my uncle just came up and asked me when I was going to have kids for the 27th time? So just distinguishing the the intention because nothing is, Dr. Gabor Monte talks about this all the time, like nothing is addictive and yet everything is addictive. It's, It's how you use it, right? Like I know people that are addicted to like eating toenails, you know, people are doing <laughs> weird shit. Like yeah. not a thing for me, like mm-hmm. anything can be addictive if the intention is there. Mm-hmm. I love that discernment. And yeah, it's interesting because last night I've been home alone for the last few nights, which is a different rhythm without my husband being here. And I noticed I was just like starting to binge watch TV. And I was asking myself like, is this healthy? Like, does this feel good? Or am I doing this out of avoidance of something else? And I noticed I'm actually doing it out of avoidance for something like I felt a tipping point of like, yeah, like, you know, watching this show and like maybe part of the show feels fun, but like, oh, when I kept going for that, like third Seinfeld episode, like that's where I started to like tip into the avoidance and I could feel that in me. And I didn't, my choice didn't change, but I think just having the awareness of it can help me course correct. You know, it helped me course correct and think about, okay, actually, what do I need to face today that I was avoiding yesterday? Totally. And also there's a there's something to be said for conscious avoidance too. Like, wow, you know what? Like I am consciously avoiding by watching my fifth episode or whatever it is, but I'm also making that choice and I'm not hurting myself or anyone else in the process. Yeah. That's an important distinction too. So as we start to talk about the holidays, And I want to talk about ritual, rich rituals. I want to talk about your chocolate company. Like talk to us about the practice of mindful eating, how you were inspired to engage by creating a chocolate company specifically 
that really a part of the mission is to practice mindful eating when enjoying. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, you know, my mess, I wanted to make it into a message, right? So my mess is around conscious pleasure. My mess is around food, you know, as an, as an ex anorexic, you know, chocolate was really, really foreboding. Like it was just a no, nothing. I mean, the, pretty much everything was a no, but chocolate was certainly a no. Right. So for me, as someone who has like recovered completely from that, it, it felt like a beautiful tool to have this conversation. It's really a vehicle around allowing for a moment of pause, allowing for a moment of pleasure, allowing for a deep breath. Because again, most of us wake up and feel like we didn't get enough sleep and go to bed feeling like we didn't get enough done. And so if we can carve out even two minutes in our day to take a few deep breaths and to savor a bite of delicious, organic, sustainable, paleo, vegan, you know, all the buzzword chocolates, and they're delicious too. So it's like a total win-win. Um, but if we can- they even are delicious. Thank you, beautiful. It's, it's a ritual, right? It's like anything can be a ritual if you make it a ritual. You can turn your shower into a ritual. Every time I get in the shower, I think of something that maybe I want to let go of. And I imagine that as the water pours down my body, I'm letting go of it and that it's being cleansed. Every morning I wake up and I do a gratitude list because that makes me feel inspired for what's happening in the day. Appreciation leads to appreciation. That's just how it works. It's how it's worked in my life. And for me, my practice, my, my, my sadhana is around food because it was something so, uh, I mean, it almost killed me. Right. So it's my, it's my practice. And every meal is my practice because I can totally have a meal and not remember one bite of it easily, mm -hmm. easily. Cause there was a, there was a level of anorexia where, when I would allow myself to eat something like cauliflower, let's say I would eat it really fast because I didn't even want to allow myself to eat it. So I would just eat it. So I'd be a little bit less hungry. And so I'd eat it really fast. Cause it was like, ugh, I was still in that fight, flight, freeze. So my practice now is about pausing, breathing and savoring. Mm -hmm. and listening to the nobility of my body in the process mm -hmm. kind and gentle when I overeat or undereat or, you know, whatever it is. Cause that's, that's human being present, allowing for savoring. The practice of savoring is like the, the practice. Yeah. Right? Anything you want to, um, to experience more wholeheartedly, the practice of savoring will make it richer. Yes. And you recognize, right. That your cup is so much more full when you're really savoring something like that one piece of chocolate or that one cup of coffee or whatever it is might feel like enough. Even being on silent meditation retreats where I'm really able to focus on my mindful eating practice, I recognize a habit would be probably to go back up to the bar for seconds because like I have so much scarcity of like there never being enough food and then to pause with that right recognize that and then recognize like my body's telling me I'm actually full like I'm this is enough because I fully savored it fully experienced it and we can it's not just savoring food like I can savor a, a kiss with my boyfriend I can savor a sunset I can savor a breath 
I can savor moments with my dog, Hugo, and it makes it so much sweeter. I have a friend who, um, it, she's a psychologist now, but she, to put herself through school, she was a, a massage therapist and she loved it. And when she was in massage school, they told her, if someone tells you to go harder, you actually go slower. You don't go harder. You go slower because people can actually feel it more. And it's the same thing with eating. If you want to taste it more, go slower. If you want to feel it more, go slower. That's just what it is. It's, it's, that's the practice. It's like the thing that, that is so forgotten, Mm -hmm. but it's like the most noble truths I find are so simple. Yeah. If you want to savor your food, go slower. I love that reminder because I think culturally we've been conditioned that faster is always better. And so to really start to train ourselves to remember how much uh, satisfaction and impact and beauty and pleasure is really in going slow Mm. and shifting our pace. Oh my God. Well, go to, go to Italy. And they're like, why are you like, what are you doing? Turning around like that. Like, (laughs) yes, completely. Like in in Argentina, they're not allowed to give you the check unless you ask for it. Right. It's like, you're not rushed off your table. It's this opportunity of enjoying, of taking up space. So yes, I love that reminder. Good. It's always nice to get to Europe and be reminded of like, what's, sacred. (laughs) So you mentioned breath work and I think breath work has become a pretty big, I don't want to call it a buzzword, but it's become a very popular phrase to, to use. And for, for listeners that aren't familiar with breath work or what's the difference between breath work and yoga or breath work and meditation or breath work and Kundalini, can you just share a little bit about breath work and how you use it as a centering tool? Sure. I love that. Well, there is breath work in all of those things, right? There's breath work in meditation. There's breath work in yoga, of course. Um, There's breath work, certainly in Kundalini. There's breath work, certainly just in the practice of breath work. So there's different types of different forms of breath that can be applicable depending on what you're trying to do. So for me, it's about, again, tuning in and listening to the nobility of my body. If I am upregulated, if I'm stimulated and kind of anxious, I'll do a specific type of breath work versus if it's first thing in the morning and I'm kind of wanting to get up and like get some energy moving, I'll do a different type of breath work. So if I'm just, for example, if I am anxious, I will do what's called box breathing where I inhale for the count of five. I hold the breath at the top for the count of five. I exhale for the count of five, and then I hold it empty for the count of five. And this breath work is actually taught to Navy SEALs. It's used before people go into battle to calm the nervous system. So we can actually like be present. So we're not just tunnel visioned. Um, And so if I'm feeling anxious, that's where I go. If It is first thing in the morning and I'm wanting more of an energizing breath. I go into more of a Wim Hof style breathing um, in and out through the mouth. I do five rounds of 30 in and out through the mouth at whatever tempo serves, right? So if you're, if you tend to be an anxious individual, slowing it down, if not to get at whatever pace you wish, 
Um, but yeah, just 30 breaths in and out through the mouth and then pause and you do that five times through. Um, and then if you're wanting to calm the nervous system again and you're out in public or you don't really have the ability to um, take a moment of pause, you can literally just plug your right nostril and just breathe through your left. And that'll calm the nervous system as well. So there's just different forms um, depending on, on what you're trying to do. I was trained um, with some yogic breathing because that's how I got my start was with yoga. I, I no longer teach yoga, but um, but that was kind of what branched me into it. And then I taught at a, at a meditation studio called Unplug and they had what's called holotropic breath work, which I really do love. It's very intense. Um, it can be very cathartic emotionally. Um, but if you're looking for a release, holotropic breath work is fantastic. It was developed in the 1970s by a doctor who had had many psychedelic experiences and actually found that the breath was um, a similar stimulant and could create the same environment, but just using oxygen. Mm. Powerful. Yeah. And our breath is always with us, right? And we can also activate and control our nervous systems through our breath without people even noticing. We don't have to be on a yoga mat or on a meditation cushion to do it. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why it's gaining so much buzz because people may not be willing to like put on their Lululemons and go take a yoga class anymore. I mean, not everybody, obviously people who are into it are into it, but like, I know a lot of people that are like, eh, that's not for me, but everybody breathes. Thank God all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have access to it all the time. And what a great tool to also put in the toolbox as we head into the holidays, you know, when that uncle triggers you or that family member says something that you really wish they didn't say, right? To use the breath or to even just allow ourselves to slow down, come back to the present moment. Yes. And that was really the foundation for Rich. My chocolate brand was that on the back of each bar is a QR code. You scan it, you get a two minute breathwork ritual. So it's not, it's, it's, it is indeed a ritual. It is indeed a practice and it's intended to be used as such, right? Of course it's delicious chocolate. You can just eat the bar of chocolate, but if you're wanting to create a daily ritual, scan the QR code on the back, it'll lead you directly to your practice. You don't need to enter your email or anything like that. You just get your practice and you eat your chocolate. And that's the best part. I love it. How do you talk about rituals? Because I obviously talk about rituals within the Central City community in a specific way. And I love that you use the word rituals too. So share with us a little bit about like what rituals mean to you. I know you shared a little bit earlier of like you can create rituals with anything, the shower, journal yes. practice. Yeah. I think I think rituals are anchors. I think our rituals are the things that can or cannot proliferate our growth, right? So if, if you think about where you want to be in a year, would the rituals that you're currently doing get you there? Or would they not? I know a lot of people are like, yeah, next year I want to have this much money or have, have this body weight or whatever it is your rituals, what you do every day are going to get you there or not. And so aligning in that way and thinking, thinking of our daily rituals as, um, they're like love notes to ourselves, 
they're like, I should, I can't, it's like every time I, I partake in my breathwork ritual or my chocolate ritual or my shower ritual, it's like, oh, I'm carving out time to connect. I love me. I'm, this is like, people are like, yeah, self-love's great. But like, how do you do it? For me, I do it through ritual. Like I show myself it, it, yes, my internal environment has to be clean too, the way that I speak to myself, but also it's the rituals. So it's our, they, they, there are tools, there are anchors, there are touchstones. I love that. I love the reminder of the anchors. I talk about them as love notes too. And just being this opportunity, I feel like you and I have experienced death of our moms and really recognize the impermanence of life. There's no teacher like it. Yeah, exactly. And there's just this opportunity for us to really slow down to feel the gift of life when we practice our rituals. So thank you for sharing. Alexa, where can people learn more about you and rich rituals? Yes. Um, please connect me. I would love to, I would love to connect with anyone in your community. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Alexa Silvaggio, A-L-E-X-A. S-I-L-V-A-G-G-I-O, or you can check out Rich Rituals at richrituals.com. And it's R-I-T-C-H rituals.com. Um, and yeah, I would love to connect. Try the chocolate. Let me know what you think. It's a beautiful practice. It's a beautiful ritual. It makes a great gift as well. Um, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for listening to the Center to the City podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast as well as send it to a loved one, someone in your life that you know could benefit from listening to it. Until next time, stay centered. <laughs>